0: All right, welcome back to Quentin Tarantino, part two, Raiders of Lost podcast. Jackie Brown's the last movie we went over. Now we're going to go over Kill Bill. It's probably my second most viewed Tarantino movie of all time. I've seen mm-hmm. this movie a million times. <laughs> I adore this movie so much. Mm. Um, we all know it's about when a nameless pregnant bride, Uma Thurman, is left for dead by a gang of assassins. She embarks on a very bloody road of revenge. That leads are face-to-face with her old boss, Bill. Great synopsis. Thank you so much. I love Uma Thurman in this movie star-making role for her. Yeah, this movie is just... It's so badass. It's about a a modern-day blonde samurai. And Beatrix Kittle is just one of the coolest characters of all time, action-wise. She's a freaking samurai again. She's one of the deadliest women alive. And she just kicks ass and takes names in this movie, This is one of the ultimate female empowerment movies ever made. Hands down. Easy. This, This woman destroys so many bad guys in this movie with her hands. Well, not just that she destroys bad guys, but it's empowering in the terms that she takes on... A role that is characteristically given to mostly male characters exactly. in, in male leading movies. Yeah. So Tarantino just flipped that whole genre on it's, head. it's like I'm going to make a movie with a female in this lead mm. and with female lead characters and female lead villains mm. rather than the typical male villains male bad guys male yeah. good guys. So it's a, it's a female-led cast like, and it's a very diverse cast as well. The cast is phenomenal. I mean Lucy Liu is so good as Oren Ishii mm. and you got Vivica A. Fox, mm. Daryl Hannah, mm. Uh, Michael Madsen, it's it's just great. It's it's loaded and it's got great fights. But he films it with his traditional Tarantino quality, so he makes it fun. He has the old sound effects, he has the old music. It feels like you're watching a kung fu movie, but it's contemporary. So it's this blend and this mish, mishmash of genres and and time periods, and it it adds to the 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 brilliance of his vo- brilliance of his voice of just making a action movie that you've never seen before. Yeah, he's obviously paying homage to those old 70s kung fu movies that he clearly loves, hmm. he's clearly obsessed with. Yeah. And that's evident not just in, like, the, the fight scenes and everything, but also the audio that goes on during the fight scenes, like the fun little quick two-, three-second clips of audio that you hear when someone's, like, flying through the air or throwing a kick or something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, they're using swords. Like, you never see this in modern action yeah, movies it's anymore. Great. It's so cool. It's so much fun, and then, I mean, it just... It, right from the get-go, that, that fight with Vivica A. Fox in her house is just... It's so un, it, unexpected, and it's brutal, and it's violent. And then it gets hilarious when the daughter shows up, and they both hide the knives behind their backs. Yeah. And they, they play normal for, for the kid. Yeah, and the house is a mess, and it's trashed. Yeah. This movie has a very bold opening, a lot like Reservoir Dogs, mm. where the opening of the movie is just a, a close-up shot of Uma Thurman in a bride's outfit, mm. covered in blood, Clearly beaten to a pulp, running lines with someone off camera who's Bill. And then right before she gets shot in the face, she says, Bill, it's your baby. And then boom. Mm. That's the opening of the movie. Yeah. Again, Tarantino's basically showing you, this is what this movie's going to be. Mm. You, 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 you see this innocent-looking bride destroyed. Her face has been pummeled in, covered in blood. No mercy shown to her. This is the movie. Yeah, and then you're like, what happened? You want to know what happened. And then... It adds you. You follow Beatrix on this on her journey from the hospital where she's half paralyzed and she's wiggle her big toe, and then the, she gets the pussy wagon, and it's fun. But also, you're rooting for her to really get back at these people, and it's one of the best revenge movies ever made, mm-hmm. hands down. And revenge stories are violent stories, and this is a violent ass movie. Oh hell yeah! And there's a. Huge kill count. Uma Thurman kills a ridiculous amount of people in this movie. And again, this is a, a big criticism of Tarantino is violence. Not just violence on screen but violence again wo- against women on screen. Mm. Very common criticism of Tarantino's films. I think it's important for people to realize that real life violence is different than on screen violence. Yeah, You know, this isn't real. And again, we've talked about, we talked about it earlier. I don't think that on screen violence leads to violence in real life. And Obviously maybe a lot of people don't want to watch violence on camera but again if you don't want to watch violence violent movies you don't have to watch violent movies. Yeah. I feel as though Tarantino enacts so much violence on the men in his stories where it's just kind of a kind of an empty argument to argue that there's too much violence against women because I feel like every Tarantino character experiences violence on them. You know yeah. what I mean? And he, he, he does cause violence against way more men than he does women. And yeah. he kills more men than he kills women. I mean, did you watch Pulp Fiction? Some pretty messed up stuff happens to guys in that yeah. movie. Yeah. I realize that it's a controversial subject, but personally, I think the way that Tarantino treats his characters is equal, where they all have no mercy spared against them. They, they, he treats them all as expendable as each other. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's in bad taste to try and politicize someone for something that clearly wasn't their motivation. I mean, the way people look at it is that he's like twirling his mustache, enjoying like, "Ooh, I'm going to have this woman get beat up. Like, that's not how he's writing his movie. He's writing his movie based on his characters and his story and being accurate to whatever is happening in the situation. Well, I understand people being critical of it because they they say it promotes um, violence against women and it it promotes the, the images of violence against women that it's an okay thing to do. But we all know that it's not an okay thing to do in real life. And we all know these are stories and these are movies. We all know it's not okay to go hack people with samurai swords. Yeah. And and if you don't want to watch violent movies, don't watch violent movies. Don't pay for a ticket. But I also think you shouldn't just criticize people who enjoy violent movies. I don't think there's anything wrong with watching a violent movie if you're of age to see that film. Absolutely. 100%. And speaking of violence, this has... Hands down, one of my favorite action scenes of all time, which is the Crazy Eight Apes fight, where Beatrix just goes to town on dozens upon dozens upon dozens of enemies. Oh my God, it's so good. It's such an iconic fight. I remember seeing it in theaters for the first time, it, was, it just blew me away. It's so incredible. And um, it's really funny when you look at the trailers that came out, everyone's covered in black because they had to die, they had to digitally alter the blood on everyone to. To uh, be black instead of red, so that they could show the trailers on in movie theaters and on TV. That sequence goes back and forth between color and black and white. Mm. So, but it also has just great action, great changes in music, yeah. and then you choose specific great songs, gore. specific specific parts of songs to specific parts of the fights. Yeah, but like when she's fighting the guy with the two weapons, and it's like. Like cool beat going back in the background, yeah, and then it goes to like a heart, like a fast rock like din- din- punk song. Din- yeah. din- 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 where she's like breakdance fighting with the swords and cutting people's feet off yeah. and everything. And then it's funny at the end when this when the lights turn on, she's about to like get the last guy. It's like a twelve year old. And then she just hacks up his sword and just spanks him. Yeah, it's and so hilarious. it's like it's he keeps it super light. Again, he makes you and it's a very tense moment, then a minute later you're laughing and yeah. having a good time. And he, yeah. he eases that tension. And then that leads to the the finale of uh the, the battle against Oren, which is fantastic. One of my favorite scenes in Tarantino's filmography yeah. is when she, you know, beats the the henchman and she's ready for the boss fight. And she gets back there and Orenishi's just standing by herself next to that little pond. Waiting and there's that little water bubbler that goes <laughs> doo-doo, 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 that fills up with water and doo-doo. keeps falling. And then they have their their dialogue back and forth. And um Orenishi completely underestimates Beatrix Kiddo yeah. and her ability to fight with a samurai sword. You know what's really cool about that scene? Before they fight, Oren tells uh, Beatrix, um, I hope you saved your energy because if you haven't, you won't last five minutes. And then the fight, from when from that moment until the end of the fight when Beatrix uh, kills Oren, it's 4 minutes and 59 seconds. Is it really? Exactly. Wow. My favorite part of the fight is probably the anticipation of the fight, yeah. where Tarantino does such a good job building it up. So she goes back there, and they have their dialogue, and then Oren starts to prepare, and she takes her slippers off, and as soon as her feet touches the, the, the dusting of snow on the ground... That song with the clapping starts. Don't let me be misunderstood. With mm-hmm. the, and it's like a minute, minute and a half of just this song, this epic song playing, leading to the climax of when they start to fight. And I love it so much, and it makes my hair stand on my arms every time I watch it. It's literally the end, the finale fight of a spaghetti western. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a duel with that slow build up. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why Kill Bill movies kind of start to have that western vibe to his movies, but also. Another thing I love about Tarantino and Kill Bill, again, we talked about it earlier, where he makes whatever he wants. He's yeah. so confident in himself as a director and and brave as a director that he'll put a 10 minute anime sequence <laughs> in a live action movie in in American cinemas, uh-huh. which is not unheard of in Asian cinema, but in American cinema to put anime in a movie, most people are in the theater are probably like, what the fuck's going on right now? Is this part of the movie? <laughs> I remember when I was 11, 12 yeah, yeah. years old seeing this movie, I was like, "Wait, what's going on? Yeah, is this the yeah, same? Is, is yeah. this part of the movie?" Mm. But you know what? It's very cool and it really is a, it's a really fun way to show the character of Oren oh Ishii because she's one of my favorite characters of Tarantino's in all of his in all of his movies. Oh yeah, that scene where she's uh dominating the other gangsters in that in that meeting is insane. Yeah, when they criticize her American yeah. and Chinese heritage. Yeah, oh my god. And I I love her so much, and I I always had such a huge crush on Lucy Liu because of this movie <laughs> as a kid. And it, she's a total badass. But again, her biggest flaw is underestimating Beatrix Kiddo. Yeah, the crazy eighty-eight fight scene's great. Then the fight that she has against Gogo is really cool too. Mm. But also, real quick, that fight also has some controversy around it, where there's there are articles being written where Tarantino went on set abusing uh, Uma Thurman. Where but specifically the what people don't realize it's part of the scene so on the scene beatrix Kittle gets choked by the chain from gogo's uh weapon yeah when he gets caught in the plank and then yeah and so tarantino gets this great close-up shot of uma thurman being choked by the chain and a mistake that i think tarantino made which he he doesn't really regret he's he's Defends himself with this is he's the guy who held the chain Mm -hmm. against um, Uma Thurman's throat for the shot. Yeah, he didn't have like a key grip do it. He didn't have like another actor do it. He didn't pay someone, a stuntman, to do it. He did it himself. He felt like he needed to be the one to do it to get do it right. And he also has been on on interviews saying that Uma's the one who kind of came up with the idea of him doing it. Yeah, and it needing to be done uh, more effectively and in a proper way to get it out right and to make it look good. I believe that, yeah. But I, I think it got blown out of proportion where people have this perception where Tarantino's just going around on sets just beating up his female characters, which isn't true. I mean, yeah. it's part of the shot. He probably should have had a stuntman do it or someone else do it. But again, you need to get perspectives from both people. And from what I've read personally, I think that they both defended the actions on it, Uma Thurman and Tarantino. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, Uma probably committed to that role and she wanted it to, to make it as effective looking as possible. And it does look r- real because it is real. Yeah. And actors, there are a lot of actors that are so committed to their craft, they will they will do things that seem a little strange in order to properly properly display their craft. And um, something similar happened with David Fincher on *Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*, where um, at the end, when Daniel Craig is tied up by Stellan Skarsgård, and he um, he puts a plastic bag over his over his head um, and, st- and suffocates him, but like in a toying way, they really suffocated Daniel Craig. Over and over again with the paper bag for the shot, and then one time he, they held him under the they kept him under the bag for so long that he actually passed out. Um, but he was okay with it, and I think if it was a woman, it would have been a bigger controversy. But since it was Daniel Craig, it didn't didn't become a news story. But I think that there are actors that are committed to what they do and they wanted to make they wanted to make as good of a movie as possible, and so they'll sacrifice they'll they'll allow themselves to experience some pain or discomfort to get that shot. And so I think it's okay, and I think if both people are in agreement, we don't really know what happened on set, but um, I, I, I can totally believe that they both wanted it to happen that way. Yeah. But Tarantino did put Uma Thurman's life in danger on Kill Bill 2 yeah. in a real hazardous situation that could have cost her her life, and we'll get to that in a minute. So yeah. let's move on to Kill Bill 2. Um, one of the best sequels ever made. Oh, but yeah. It's not exactly a sequel. It's like a continuation of a story, it's like um, the the second half of one movie. Yeah, it's a completion of a story, yeah. and it again displays Tarantino's love for those grindhouse kung fu movies, mm. as well as this movie feels more like a western mm. to me than Kill Bill One because now he's starting to incorporate Ennio Marconi's music from his old western films, mm. as well as there's a lot of scenes like in the deserts with Ma- with Michael Madsen's character, yeah. Martin's character. But, you see the training scenes with Pai Mei. Yeah, so that's one that's one of my favorite. Parts about Kill Bill 2 is this Western vibe that Tarantino brings to it. Yeah. And then the cool thing about it also is in Kill Bill Volume 1, Beatrix is kind of a mystery to the audience. Like, you don't know where she's from. You kind of get a sense of her past while she's an assassin with those scenes when she finds out she's pregnant and stuff like that. Mm. But um, you don't really know much about her besides the fact that she woke up from a coma. She was killed on her wedding day while she was pregnant. And uh, she survived the shooting. Um, but in in Kill Bill Volume Two, you learn about her past in terms of her training with mm. Pai how she developed her skill set. You learn more about Bill and her relationship with Bill, and like mm. you know, you have those. Uh, Can you even get to like Bill? Yeah, those campfire chats with Bill, where he's telling those interesting stories. Yeah, um, he seems like a really smart, interesting guy. Also foreshadowing his own death. With the uh, five-point palm exploding heart technique. Yeah, and I think that Tarantino did such a good job keeping Beatrix a mystery to the audience in the first one that you were so thirsty to find out who she was that he quenched that thirst in volume two for you. Yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite sequences in the movie is all the, all of the training with Pai Mei. Oh, it so felt, like, I felt like I was watching a foreign film from Asia. You know what I mean? It's incredibly brutal and entertaining. Yeah, it's funny. You feel for her. Um, and also, you're just curious to see how someone becomes this kind this talented of a, of a fighter and this skilled of an assassin and you're like obviously and it's it's so fun to think like there's this one um master in the world who lives in isolation and you have to train with him for years in order to develop, develop these skills it's not like she trained in an army corps or like with some kind of, like, agency government-type program. It's like she she was trained by an old um, martial arts master, Mm -hmm. which is so much fun. Yeah, I love the training sequences with Main. Her over-arrogance in the beginning, which he shuts down quickly Mm. and uh, almost, like, breaks her hand, basically. Yeah. And um, he, like, takes control of her body and her hand and he she becomes his tool to weld how he likes mm. and, and he's um, always doing like that flick with his beard yeah but it makes sense to, to have to go through such brutal training to become the most deadly person on the planet yeah and um so many great things about kill bill too is um you find out that bb her daughter survived mm-hmm. and uma is such a terrific actor that she doesn't know that bb survived she doesn't know bb exists and when she finally fi- tracks Bill down and finds him towards the end of the movie and she sees Bibi for the first time, the look on Uma's face, like, I, I'll never forget it. And it always, like, make, get, makes me feel so many emotions that she just emotes, like, so much the first time she sees her daughter who she thought was dead, yeah. And she's just grown up a little six-year-old girl, and she's so cute and funny and mm-hmm. adorable. And she's like, I can't believe this person's alive. And then she has to play into the game of pretending of getting fake shot, yeah, which she does while holding back tears, and it's it's a really great acting moment for her. And um, that followed by that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is this the Bill's entire Superman backstory, I mean Superman story, where he compares Beatrix to Superman. With, uh, with the cape, with the with the uh, costume and and comparing her to saying that it essentially gets down to the point in the theme of the character, which is she's a killer, and she'll always be a killer and, yep. I, and if in anything she says otherwise, this is just, just a facade. yeah, where Clark Kent puts on the suit to become Superman yeah. takes it off to become Clark Kent. Beatrix killer kiddo is a killer, yeah and she, and what she's wearing is, a, is her Clark Kent outfit is trying to be a normal person, yeah exactly. It's a great, it's a great scene. And um so the controversy behind Kill Bill, 2 is it was a serious accident. Mm. So Tarantino made a massive mistake and really put Uma Thurman's life at risk making this film. Yeah, so the film has multiple shots of this great shot of Beatrix Kilo- Kiddo driving her tiny little car super fast around these windy roads, and she's bombing down these roads. Mm. And um, they didn't have a stunt driver do it they had uma do it because tarantino just wanted his perfect shot he wanted like uma's face and head uh the shots like right behind her head or her wind's blowing like crazy and they tried to do it a few times at like 30 40 miles per hour but tarantino like didn't like it because he wants like the wind to be blowing super fast in her hair Mm. and he had her going way too fast and she crashed her car Mm. and she had a very serious knee injury and a very serious neck injury which still plague her to this day and um the thing with Tarantino is he, he hasn't shied away from taking responsibility for his actions here. Yeah. And he completely regrets it. And um, recently, I think it was like a year or two ago, Uma Thurman asked him for the unseen footage of what happened during the crash and after the crash. So the camera kept rolling and the audio kept rolling. Uh, and without hesitation, he gave her the footage to let her show the world what happened mm-hmm. and to tell her story. So you got to respect and condemn Tarantino for being upfront and being open to share that information in the footage, but also he had to accept responsibility for what he did because it was a very dangerous situation and a huge mistake that he made in his career. Yeah, it's completely unacceptable to put an actor in a situation like that and demand her to her to uh, essentially put her life in danger for a shot. Completely unacceptable and irresponsible, and luckily she she got out with injuries, but nothing more serious than that. Um, and I think it's, pro- it, it's a big mistake on his part. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, there are certain depths that I'm sh- directors will go to get the perfect shot, but they should realize that they're crossing a line at some point. Yeah, so the safety of the, of the crew and, the, and your actor should be first and foremost. Yeah, so that's the situation where Tarantino actually has put Uma Thurman's life at risk mm. while filming. And then what's great about Kill Bill 2 is it ends in, in, on a great note she accomplishes her goal she kills all the, all of her enemies um, and she gets BB in the end and they I drive BB BB and it's just, it's you feel great at the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You feel like, oh, that was that was fantastic. But there's so many points in the movie where you think she's not going to make it, not yeah. going to survive. Like when she gets buried alive by Bud. Yeah. Holy crap, man. What a scene. My, my God, it's nuts because you think she's, she's tracking Bud and Bud lives this crappy life in a trailer. He's just a bouncer at an, an idiot TV bar. Um, and he's not completely an idiot, but she, she you think that she has the upper hand on him, sneaking around in the dark and everything, hiding under his trailer. But then you realize that he's not a moron, and he's been waiting for her, and he's been prepared. And when he catches her, and he buries her alive, and you just can't believe it. But to watch her get out of the coffin and make it, and dig through the dirt is so amazing. But it's it's the it's a great way to for Tarantino to flash back on her training with yeah. Paime. So that's where he goes back in time with his nonlinear storytelling to show you how Beatrix came, Beatrix Kiddo, the the, the killer. And and especially to show how she was a, how she's able to escape a coffin by punching her way out with only three inches. Yeah, in that three-inch punch that Paime makes her do over and yeah. over and over again <sighs> against that wooden <sighs> board <sighs> for like months and months and probably a, a year or two yeah. of just punching that board just... Distance of just her index finger away, mm. and it's just it's freaking awesome, and it's great in, when she's in the coffin that she's got the flashlight and she's just like bashing away at it over. in the and the music's building up and getting faster, but it's terrifying when she's yeah. being buried alive, yeah. Because I, I don't really think I've seen people being buried alive on camera like to that extent before I have seen this movie. Well, because Tarantino shot it, he shot it from inside the coffin, and then first they hammer all the nails, and then the last light the cr- in the, the lights corner, going out, it just that gets shut out. And then you just hear the pounding and the rush of all the dirt and just blasted on top of the coffin. Until you can't hear it and anymore. it's terrifying because you feel like you're in the coffin with her. But yeah, Kill Bill, satisfying ending, great sequel. Um, all in all, it's a fantastic story, both of them put together. Hell yeah. All right, let's move on to Death Proof, which oh, yeah. is a pretty nuts movie. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, again, Tarantino paying homage to old movies that he loves and adores. Mm-hmm. Starring Kurt Russell as this crazy stuntman driving serial killer <laughs> who goes around trying to pick up women to kill in his uh, car. Yeah, and it's just a ridiculous concept. Mm. Uh, mostly female-led cast. Kurt Russell is a fun villain to watch. So entertaining. Like he's so very, charming. Very seldom a villain, but when he he's a villain in this, and he's. Not only is he like impossibly cool, he's just evil as hell too. Yeah, but he's got like this great outfit, this great wardrobe where he has a stuntman like jacket on and it's super shiny and he, he's he got like the perfect hair and he's just like, the le- you wouldn't expect him to be a serial killer, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, when you really find out what's going on is when he picks up that girl at the bar in the beginning of the movie mm. and he puts him in the front seat and he's like telling her like, oh, this is the safe, this, this car is death proof, don't yeah. worry about it, you're going to be fine. Yeah. And then like... He starts, like, doing those crazy stuff in the car and saying some odd things to her. And then he's like, oh, in terms of uh, the car being death-proof, you really going to be sitting on my side of the car in my seat. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, shit. Well, what happens is uh, they're about to pull out of the parking lot, and he goes, uh, which way are you going, left or right? And she goes, right. And he goes, oh, that's too bad. And she goes, why? And he goes, well, there's a 50-50 shot. You were going to go left or right, and I'm going left. But since you chose right... And, and if you had, if you, if we were both were going left, it would have taken a while for you to start getting scared. But since you want to go right, but but since you want to go right and we're absolutely going left, you can start getting scared immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty nuts movie. Yeah. And I I love that Tarantino uh, gave Zoe Bell a talking character role because Zoe Bell is a stuntwoman he's he's been working with for years and he he she was um. Uh, Uma Thurman, stunt woman for, for Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. So when you yeah. see all those crazy action shots in Kill Bill, that's Zoe Bell. She's an Australian stunt woman, and it's really great for Tarantino, I think, to recognize his stunt people as as important and vital. People to the making of his movies 100% And I think that he shows that By putting Zoe Bell in the movie Giving her dialogue mm. And also giving her Some pretty cool action sequences Specifically the shots Where she's on top of the roof Of the hood of the car Yeah And they're bashing into each other Yeah it's And crazy. she's really on that thing mm. She's not wearing a wire or anything She's, she's insane And then uh, That that scene ends with them Just beating the shit out of Kurt Russell And, <laughs> and they each like Take turns and punch at him And it's like Yeah <laughs> Yeah It's so Girl funny. power It's so funny Um, but Rosario Rosario Dawson's awesome awesome in that movie she's great but that movie's a lot of fun Um, I don't think people understood what it was and what Tarantino was doing with it it's kind of like when he went to make Jackie Brown and people were like oh you're coming off Pulp Fiction with this and then it's like kind of like oh you're coming off Kill Bill with this what is this movie he just he loves these kinds of movies so much that he just and he's the only director who can make a movie like they made in the 60s like a like a B movie like he just wants to do it because he can Yeah. and it's It's great to see someone just have that freedom and like the confidence to just be like, you know what? I'm going to make a B movie action, a B action movie. Um, and pair it with some other ridiculous B movie called Grindhouse. Yeah. And we're going to make it a double feature and we're going to have fake previews and it's just going to be hysterical. And I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about it. It's great. He's the man, dude. I, loved, I love people like him because he doesn't let anyone else dictate his art. Mm-hmm. Dictate what he wants to do with his stories and what kind of movies he, ma- he wants to make. Yeah. He does what he wants. And I would say this is his, his most simple story by far. Oh, absolutely. There's only there's only a few main scenes, actually, in the whole movie. Yeah, the dialogue isn't dense. There's yeah. a ton of characters, but like yeah. they're not saying a ton of di- very dialogue. Very simple story, very straightforward, but it's, it, it's still a lot of fun. It's wicked fun, dude. Yeah. It's a really good time. It's fucking wicked fun guy. Yeah, kid. Wicked pisser. <laughs> But um, it's like since it's the simplest movie, I say we don't spend too much time talking about it. All right, let's move on to Inglorious Bastards. Hell yes, I love this movie. Obviously, I keep saying that. Um, <laughs> I think this is Tarantino's most well-made film. Uh, I it's agree. Probably most articulate and well-written script. Um, the dialogue is absolutely sensational. It's a damn shame that he didn't win an Academy <laughs> Award for screenplay. For just the opening scene of this movie with Hans Landa uh-huh. and the dairy farmer. I can't believe it. And we talked about it on an earlier podcast. It's just, I think it's one of the best scenes ever. Yeah, it might be the biggest snub in Oscar history. It's pretty absolutely. bad. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, how can you watch this movie and not realize that it's genius writing? Mm. It's it's so dense. Just that opening scene, is it's phenomenal. And yeah. we went depth on that opening scene in a yeah. previous podcast. Yeah. But the thing with this movie is every scene is like that. Yeah, Every scene is dense. Every scene... Has, gr- has huge stakes, but every scene also has his Tarantino characters, which are so um, unique and and fun to watch, um, and un- and memorable. I mean, Hans Landa, played by Christoph Waltz, is one of the most iconic villains we've seen in the last twenty years. Absolutely, it will probably live on to be an iconic villain for a long yeah. time. Yeah, because of the way he was written, he's just this flamboyant evil Nazi. Yeah. who's like very smart, very cunning. And just straight up ruthless and merciless. But he'll he'll smile and crack a joke as as he sets you up for death. Yeah, and Tarantino does a great job, again, with this opening scene. We won't talk about the suspense building, but it's just a very tense conversation. And then just there's humorous moments of getting the the sense of the people's characters, like with the pipe scene, Uh where he's like, do you mind if I smoke this pipe? And then uh, the dairy farmer's like, please, please make yourself comfortable. And then he pulls out this giant pipe that's ridiculous and Mm -hmm. just extravagant, and then the dairy farmer pulls out his his pipe, and it's just a a normal smoking pipe, and this movie is very much a spaghetti western big time. Tons of Ennio Morricone music. Um, Obviously, spaghetti western is a term for Those Western movies that were made by European, specifically Italian directors, back in the day on the Mm -hmm. cheap cheap. Yeah. You know, when Westerns were huge, but people wanted to do it very low budget. Yeah. And then Clint went over there and made a ton of those Italian (laughs) Westerns, which is also a precursor for Cliff Booth. Yeah. And um, precursor for Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he goes to Italy to film spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. But this movie is basically a spaghetti Western or just a fun Western. But it's got it's got an incredible cast. Brad Pitt in one of my favorite Brad Pitt roles. Dan Al Rain. He's so funny and so charismatic and it's just he he he's he speaks Darren Tarantino dialogue with so much charisma. It's awesome. He speaks everything with charisma. Come on, yeah, it's Brad Pitt. That's true. That's true. Yeah, not just great actors and actresses, but also something I really like about this movie is Tarantino, again, he likes to take the oppressed and have them victimize their oppressors. Yeah. And so Generally, you see a lot of Jewish characters in films about the Holocaust or the atrocities that Jewish people have gone through over the last millennia, and they're always victims. But in this movie, you what you don't really see often is he takes these Jewish characters and he makes them heroes, he makes them fighters, the hunters, he makes them, yeah, he makes them hunters, which you've never really seen before, yeah. And it's really cool to see these people who's Who's for generations they've been they're being attacked and killed and there's an atro- the atrocities happening to them, and they have these badass Jews who are out for revenge just to kill a bunch of Nazis, and it's so cool to see. Yeah, that lineup scene where he's talking to the soldiers. I want I want each one of you owe me one hundred Nazi scalps, and I want my scalps. Yeah, it's, it's so great. Cool. It's fantastic. It's badass. And then so there I think there are two major iconic scenes in that movie. And obviously the first one, but then I think the basement restaurant scene, when they're playing the drinking games, is so is so fantastic, and it, it's also just as dense and in, in, in intense and and articulate and and fantastic as the first scene. Yeah, it might be the best scene he's ever written. It, yeah, I think it could be because it's a lot longer than the first scene, and there's more characters, and then um, it's got like Diane Kruger and Michael Fassbender um, are fantastic in it. I can't remember the the German the Austrian actor's name. Um, but it, it's just, it's a brilliant scene and it goes from them playing the games and then the Nazi starts suspecting Fassbender because of the yeah, accent, because of the accent and he's, he's interrogating him, but he's all, it's social he's like, he's being like kind of non-threatening about it. He's just asking him innocent questions, but, but he all ranks him. So he yeah, has a right to do it. Yeah. But he, yeah, he has a right to do it and he, it's, it's pretty much an interrogation. And then, um. And then when he gives himself away by putting up the wrong three, yeah, he does this. No, he does this. He does this. Yeah, he does this instead of this. Yeah. And then the uh, the Nazi just looks at it for a second. Then it's like, oh, he knows. Yeah. He knows. The, the, the jig is up. Immediately knows. And uh, Michael Fassbender, yeah, he's fantastic in that scene. And what I like about that movie now when I go rewatch it after seeing The Hateful Eight, it seems like that scene might be a precursor or inspiration for Tarantino to have made Hateful Eight. Yeah. Because you're talking about an ensemble cast, a bunch of characters in one setting, one set. Yeah. And see what happens with all these characters and Mm -hmm. amazing dialogue. It ends in a bloodbath. Yeah. It's like, who's going to die? What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? And I adore that scene so much. It's so freaking good. And it's so funny because Brad Pitt, before they even go down there, he's like, he, he doesn't want to fight in a basement. He's like, he, he's like, I ain't fighting in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> fighting in a goddamn basement. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's such a great scene, and uh, it's definitely one of my favorite scenes of all time. There's two scenes in this movie that I think are some of the best ever made. Yeah. It's crazy. And this movie's full of so many great characters and a lot of really great female characters. I mean, Shoshana mm. and Bridget von Hammersmark are awesome. I mean, Bridget von Hammersmark... Is a German, an English German spy, but she's also a German movie sp- star. Yeah. And it's just really cool to see this badass character, mm-hmm. despite what happens to her in the end. Mm-hmm. And she's so charismatic and so funny and showing up to the red carpet with the cast and everything. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> and then Shoshana is a very strong character. You know, she's this Jew. She was originally in the floorboards in the opening scene of the movie. She's the only uh, person in her family to escape. Yeah. Um, orava Shoshana. To escape. Um, Hans Landa, Hans Landa, And then she goes on to take over this movie theater under a mm. new alias. And she eventually uh, has a hand in killing Hitler. Yeah, which, which is also one of the great unexpected twists in a Tarantino movie is when he has his characters kill Hitler in most of the Third Reich in the movie theater. He just burns it down and they all die. Which is like, he's the only person that could ever think to do something like that. Yeah. Ever. No one else has has the audacity to do that. It does it in a fun way too? A yeah. fun and brutal way. Yeah. Like when Donny Donovich is just unloading there's, round after round into his face. There's just like it, it. It was satisfying to see. You know what I mean? To it see Hitler's satis- face get yeah. blown just off by to have guns. Him just get bl- shot with a like hundred rounds. It was just satisfying to see that. Yeah. One of my other favorite scenes in this movie is the bear Jew. The bear Jew. Yeah. The bear Jew. yeah, yeah. Where um, they capture the Nazi soldiers and they're interrogating them to find out. Uh, what kind of artillery and where other Nazi campouts are in the the area. The way that they execute the Nazi soldiers is ridiculous with uh, Mm. Eli Roth's character, Donnie Donovitz, um, bashes their brains in with a bat. He's called (laughs) the bear shoe. The bear shoe. shoe. And uh, it's so funny when the the Nazi... The first one. The first one pridefully accepts his death. Loyal. Very loyal. Um, And... Brad Pitt's character, Aldo Rain, is, like, actually really excited about it. He's like, oh, we're all tickled to hear you say that. the <laughs> Marsham Donnie ba- bashed uh, Nazis' brains over the bat. It's the closest thing we get to the movies. It's <laughs> freaking hysterical. And then it's great because uh, Eli Roth comes out and he bashes the Nazis' head in and then they ask the second guy and he's, he, he's like, points to the map right away. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I love the way uh, Eli Roth comes into the scene because after he accepts his fate and Aldo Rain calls for Donnie, um, the new the music starts and you just hear donnie clapping the bat against the wall and like a slow beat that gets mm. a little faster and faster and faster and then he finally comes out and that brass is like bum, mm. bum, 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 bum. Mm. and he just looks totally badass but you can see the pain and anger and rage in his eyes so he's trying to He's just trying for his, the rest of his life. He'll die trying to get vengeance for everything that the Nazis have done to the Jewish population yeah. in mm-hmm. Europe, and it's pretty badass. Yeah. It's a badass freaking scene, and it's all it's hilarious, it's brutal, and it's fun. Yeah, it's a great scene. I love it. <laughs> and then um, there are a couple other Hans Landa scenes that are great, which are um, when he has lunch with uh, when he has pastries with Shoshana, and she's just. Dying of fear on the inside and trying to keep a straight face while he just destroys that pastry. Yeah, in the whipped cream. Wait for the cream. Wait for the cream. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the scene where, uh, which is so funny when um, the the guys are doing uh, Italian impersonations and he's like. Obviously onto them immediately. Yeah. And then he starts trying to get them to do a better accent. He's speaking Italian <laughs> yeah, he's fluently. Speaking it fluently, he's like, with more passion. <laughs> <laughs> Tell let me the hear the mu- Let me hear the music in it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just messing with them and it, it shows how brilliant he is compared to these guys. Like he's way above them. Gorlami. 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 See si, co- correcto. <laughs> and then uh when he has that uh that meeting with Brad Pitt to try and um, buy his way out of uh, the Nazi uh, system. Mm. Um, And he's he's trying to figure out how to say bingo. That's a bingo! (laughs) And Brad's like, it's just bingo. You just say bingo. I love Aldo Reyn because he's a military man. He obviously has to follow orders. But he hates Nazis so much Hmm. that even though Hans Landa helps end the war... And even though Hans Landa is being offered a, tr- a truce and like a, a treaty package by a general by by the American military and government, he still is going to scar him for life yeah. as a Nazi because yeah. he hates goddamn Nazis so much. <laughs> and i love that part of his character that no matter what Hans does not not escaping the country without getting a goddamn swastika carved into his forehead. Yeah, and that's a great shot where it's a close up of him just digging into the into Hans Lund's forehead oh, and the blood's pouring out and First the sound effects that. And he's just screaming like a little girl. Yeah. And then it cuts to the POV of Brad Pitt in and, and, uh Eli Roth and of and BJ Novak and uh he just goes I think it's my masterpiece. <laughs> you know what, sir? That's Tarantino saying, I think it's this is my masterpiece. Yeah, probably. It probably yeah. is his masterpiece. I think that's him just saying that. And the music in this movie, again, is phenomenal. Besides Ennio Morricone, like, when Cat People comes on by David yeah, Bowie, yeah. Um, putting out the fire with gasoline for uh, Shoshana's big night of the premiere of uh, the movie uh, at It's at like, hearing this, this in a period film is D- just like, it's so fun. It's so badass. Then she puts on her makeup and everything. Yeah. Um, but... Tar- Tarantino just he writes amazing characters and you can't help but love Shoshana so much Yeah. and the way she's willing to sacrifice her her movie theater sacrifice her life to kill the Nazis and to mm. kill Hitler is just really amazing. Yeah. Cuz fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a this film is absolutely brilliant and it, um it got snubbed for who knows how many awards. I don't know how it didn't win. Again, like, it's because of the violence. Yeah. He'll never win a best director probably because yeah. of the violence. Probably never win best picture because of the violence yeah but this is another example of him just taking a, a genre that we're familiar with that we've seen a lot of times which is like the nazi uh war genre and just completely turning it on his head like he always does mm. and telling it in a new way in a refreshing way which is why it's always so great to watch all right next up we got django Unchained, django. starring Jamie fox leonardo dicaprio samuel L. jackson and christoph uh christoph waltz um carrie washington amazing cast amazing script tarantino won best screenplay for this movie academy mm-hmm. award um it's a terrifyingly good movie christoph waltz won best supporting actor yeah and this is one of my favorite roles that leo dicaprio has ever taken because you've never seen him do anything like this before yeah and he's such a talented actor and you've never really seen him as like a villain yeah and not only a villain an evil piece of shit, yeah. flamboyant villain, horrible person, candy of Candyland, and he's he's so good in it. I think it's I think it could be his most underrated role ever. I think it is, and um, I, one of the most iconic scenes in this movie is that intense monologue that he gives in the dinner table when he's uh found out Django and um the doctor for for their ulterior motives. And he has the skull, yeah, and he's he's doing that monologue with the skull. And then he bashes he, he bashes his hand and he gets that giant cut in his hand, and uh, it's a real cut that DiCaprio got in the scene by accident. And his hand gets covered in blood, but he just keeps pouring out the monologue like like it didn't even happen. And then he uses the blood in the scene by pr- like spreading it on Kerry Washington's face, and it's like he committed so much to that scene. He and he used his his real injury in such an amazing way. It's, it's one of DiCaprio's greatest scenes of acting I've ever seen. Yeah, I love his character in this. It's, it's so amazing to watch. He's so enigmatic on, on camera with this role. Yeah. And um, again, as we talked about earlier, Tarantino wanted to accurately depict slavery and what it was really like or what it probably looked like. Um, in this film similar to 12 years a slave. yeah so the violence is kind of required and, and the treatment of, of the slaves is required. Uh-huh. And I mean, we've seen things in this movie that you haven't really seen before like the mandingo fight is yeah. insanely vicious yeah but realistic nuts and realistic for sure. yeah. And then the cool shot in that scene is um, when Django goes to get a drink, he's standing next to the other Django from yeah the other Django the old Django yeah, yeah. movie. So he has both Djangos together on the same shot, which is really cool but to see silent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell it? <laughs> this is a beautifully shot movie, despite the content. Yeah, and um, and on top of the violence, how it's necessary to have the violence. Um, a lot of people critique this movie for um, the use of the N word in it. Well, in Tarantino in general. Yeah, Tarantino in general having characters say the N word um, in um, several of his movies, and I understand the the trouble it causes, and um, I understand why people can get upset by it. But you also have to think about. The authenticity that is required to, to sell a movie like this, if you're going to set a movie in the South during slavery with slave owners as characters, the N-word has to be used pretty often. True. But he also uses it in Pulp Fiction and yeah. other movies too. Yeah. But again, for him, he doesn't use it... To be racist. I don't think Tarantino's a racist person. I think he actually promotes black culture absolutely. heavily in a lot of his films. I mean, if you've seen any of Sam Jackson's roles, he absolutely does. But um, in just the music in so many of his movies and yeah. everything, in, in the, the aesthetics. But he believes in accuracy yeah. as a writer. You know, he's not going to exclude specific things no matter how think people might perceive them. If a character has to say the n word, then he's gonna have them say the n word. Yeah, but I mean, obviously you can argue that, you know, maybe his character Jimmy in Pulp Fiction doesn't have to say the N-word when he does. Yeah. But again, this is that's how people used to talk. And especially in Django, that's how people talked. Yeah. But I mean, people did use to use the N-word more freely. Yeah, and it show it's a it's a character trait to show that this guy is racist. Yeah. Not that it's a good thing to never say the N-word, yeah. um, but again, Tarantino cares about authenticity and accuracy mm-hmm. and how characters would really talk in real life in the time periods they're set in. Yeah. So, I don't find offense to his use of the N-word in his films. Um, it's totally fine if other people do. Yeah. That's how you feel about it. We all have our own perspectives and we all have our own feelings about things, but I think I agree with Tarantino on his accuracy mm-hmm. spe- specifically in Django and his use of the word of the N-word in this movie. Yeah. And moving on, I think this might be Sam Jackson's best performance because he makes it, he really sells the fact that he, he seems like he's like in his late eighties and he's got this great character put together. The voice is great. His physicality. You've never seen Sam Jackson do like a physicality this extreme and he's so convincing and he's all, he and he's, he's such a great villain in the movie and an antagonist towards Django and once again, he just he just knocks it out of the park. And he himself has said that playing that role meant that he was playing like one of the most evil characters of all time because yeah. he's playing the head slave, which means that he's basically treats the slaves worse than, than yeah. the owners treat the slaves. Yeah. And he's kind of in charge of the slaves. And yeah. like, it shows that Jackson will dive into any role that he believes in, no matter how people might perceive him, perceive the role, or perceive the movie. And I think that's important to him and his collaborations with Tarantino mm. and how well they work together and how much they believe and support each other. Yeah. And this character is great because what's so great, what I found really fascinating was that after Calvin Candy got got killed, um, Sam Jackson just holds him weeping. Mm-hmm. Like he probably raised this kid and like he loves him like his own son. You know what I mean? So you could see, like you can kind of empathize with him for a moment to see how much he loved Calvin. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I love Jamie Foxx in this movie too. He's so cool. Yeah, as Django, he's just like this really cool guy. And I know um, I read the story where during rehearsals, um, Tarantino during the script read had to take him into like a side room. And um, like a few uh, pages into the script, he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He's like, "What do you mean, man? I'm just I'm just playing the role of Django." He's like, "He's like, you're not supposed to be cool. You're a slave in the 19th century. Play like a slave in the 19th century." He's like, "All right, all he's right. Like, what the fuck are you doing?" He's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> and then they went right back into the script reading and rehearsals. But Jamie, <laughs> it, it makes sense, you know. He's a slave, so he wouldn't he can't, really he realize very cool so- what like that kind of culture. But he is becomes like. cool. Yeah. So what happens is, what's so great about this movie is Tarantino. He takes a slave and then he he turns him into this iconic kind of like badass cowboy superhero type figure. And it's you've never seen it done with this kind of story before. And it was so great to see um, the black community to get such an empowering um, figure in a movie like this set in a period like this. And again, Tarantino taking the oppressed and victimizing the oppressors with by exactly. the oppressed Exactly It's a pattern with him And so Django is taking out revenge On these these racist white slave owners hmm. Like when that mansion explodes And he's just smoking that cigarette Oh the whole ending When he starts shooting everybody Oh my it's god badass When he shoots the, the lady And she goes flying through the fucking yeah. door <laughs> Which he's been using a lot in his recent movies. <laughs> and he, he, and Tarantino also ironically makes the KKK look like a bunch of freaking dummies, which they yeah, are. Which they were. When yeah. they have these masks and they can't even figure out how to get holes in them. Yeah. And it's really funny to watch, but then you're also realizing they're a bunch of fucking idiots yeah. and a bunch of morons. Yeah, it's a great scene. And um, yeah, Django and Dr. Schultz are a great combination throughout the whole story, mm-hmm. watching their journey. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, and they're so fun. And the great thing about Schultz is he treats Django like a human being from the moment he meets him chained up to the moment he dies. Mm. And I love uh, that they both need each other to grow individually. Um, And Django becomes a better person, and Dr. Schultz becomes a better person. And Dr. Schultz eventually is willing and accepts – and ensures his own death mm. just for the satisfaction of killing Calvin Candy. Yeah. So he, he guarantees his death just for shooting him. Yeah. And he knows it's going to happen. A, he does it just for the pleasure of it. It's a great moment because he's just like, this guy deserves to die. He can't live any longer. Yeah, he's, I think he says something like, I, I can't help myself or yeah. something like that. And then um, that's actually interesting. That scene um, is one of the main reasons why Will Smith eventually didn't work out for this role. Because Will Smith was actually Tarantino's first choice for Django. Um, and they he read the script, and they had a few meetings, but Will Smith's main, main uh, problem with the script was that um, Schultz killed Calvin Candy, and Will Smith wanted Django to kill Calvin Candy. But Tarantino um, wouldn't back out, wouldn't change it, because um, he felt like this is something that Schultz had to do for that reason that you just um, implied. And so it didn't work out with Will Smith. And then... Um, he went to Jamie Foxx next, who ended up, he said, being perfect because he needed Django to turn into a cowboy, and Jamie Foxx already is a cowboy in real life. Like, he has a horse ranch, and he rides horses. Like, yeah, his horse in the movie yeah, is his real horse. it's his real horse, yeah. So he already was, and essentially, um he already... Django's character was very much, like, similar to who he was already. So Jamie Foxx ended up being the right guy for the job. Yeah. And ultimately, this movie's also a love story. And, you know, this... When you finally... Get to the mansion, and when Django finally sees Brumhilda for the first time, mm. it's just a, a, a really great moment because it's been building for like 90 minutes of this long movie where you're just waiting to see them reconnect, and it's it's just kind of like a little magical moment when when he sees her and he's like, hey, he says, hey, there, little firecracker, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she passes out, and it's just like it's so awesome to see. And then they come to save her. Yeah, Kerry Washington is awesome in this movie. Yeah, she's really she a great. Tough ro- she's a tough role in this movie. Yeah, especially what happens to her with the hot box and everything. Yeah. But one con I have for this movie is um, Tarantino, when he's acting in it. Not that Tarantino's a bad actor or anything. Mm. Um, it's just his Australian accent, and this is just <laughs> not that great guy. I mean, I love you, but the accent's not the best. And it kind of yeah. took me out of that scene a little bit when, uh-huh. when he uh, steals the dynamite and tricks those guys, yeah. and tricks the Australians. But... Um, Aside from that, this is <laughs> this is a really great movie. Yeah. It's one of Tarantino's best. It's one of his most entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's one of his funnest. And I love everything about it. Yeah, same. All right, moving on to The Hateful Eight, which dun, I dun, think dun. might be Tarantino's most underappreciated movie. It could be, yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of people who didn't like this movie, who didn't make it through the movie. They think it's too long. They think it's too boring, too much dialogue. I personally think this movie is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think Tarantino has an incredible gift with writing dialogue and writing scripts. And creating characters. Um, It's so different than his other movies. And it almost seems like a challenge he wanted to give himself. You know, put eight characters in one set Mm. and see if you can make a movie about it. See what you can do. See what can happen with three hours. Similar again to that scene in Glorious Bastards in the Basement Bar. Mm. I, I like this movie a lot. I've seen it like maybe six times, seven times. It's he he I for me personally he keeps you invested and in on edge the whole time, and um and like we said earlier with the inevitable inevitable violence in a Tarantino movie though for for the longest time you're just waiting for waiting for it to explode waiting for that first like kill or that first gunshot you know what I mean and so he's the first hour or so is just slowly building that tension up like stronger and stronger until I think the first. The first act of violence is when Sam Jackson kills Bruce Stern mm-hmm. um, because Bruce Stern draws a pistol on him because Sam Jackson tells him the story about his son, um, and he gives him the pistol. Yeah, and he gives him the pistol. So and so he, he obviously the violence comes, but he finds he always finds like fun in new ways to exploit to, to display that violence. You know what I mean? And then each character is so well drawn out. Um, so well acted by each by each actor. Um, wardrobe's fantastic. I think Sam Jackson's coat with like the yellow t- uh, stripe, yeah. the yellow trim, in um, his hat. He he looks so cool in it. He's very. I think it's the most iconic look in that sh- in that movie. Um, Jennifer Jason Leigh is phenomenal yeah, in this great. movie. She won uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for this. And um, funny story about her as Dame- Daisy Domergue is uh, that scene where she's playing the guitar and singing the song. Kurt Russell's character John Ruth gets so upset with her, like he does throughout the whole movie, that he takes the guitar and he smashes it. Uh, but Kurt Russell didn't know that that was an 150-year-old guitar and an artifact from Martin Museum, and it, so he wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't. He was. No one. T- he, it's in the script to smash the guitar, uh, but he didn't know that it was a very valuable and priceless guitar uh, and an, basically shit. a historical artifact. And so he smashed this 150-year-old guitar, and Martin Museum became very upset. And it, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's not his fault. No one communicated it to him. But that guitar that he smashes in the movie on camera is a very valuable that's guitar. That's insane. That Someone should have told him you can't replace it. So whoever the prop master was on Hateful Eight probably got fired forever. Oh, definitely. Probably never work again. Yeah, that's great. Kurt Russell is awesome in this movie. Yeah, he's, so he's fun. got he's got a lot of dialogue, and um. He's got a great mustache in this movie. Yeah, because he's one of those great actors who, you know, he's older and he doesn't get a lot of roles. And then you yeah. see him in this dense role with so much things, so many things to say, mm. and he's just like awesome, interesting character. And is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I kind of like him. I don't like him. Yeah. But the whole movie, like, I love the setup for this movie because it was advertised in the trailers as like. Eight people are in a cabin stranded during a blizzard, but they all have one thing in common. But you don't know what the mystery is until Uh, later on when you see it. Yeah. And again, the characters exceptionally unique, fun. Walton Goggins is awesome in this movie. He's He's hilarious. He steals every scene. And we also get a great secret star moment in this movie, kind of like in Interstellar with Matt Damon when he pops out of the chamber when. Uh, Channing Tatum's hiding in the basement the whole time. Yeah, and you know he's a freaking huge star, mm. and uh, he hit him that whole time for the movie. Yeah, it was great. Didn't I had no idea he was even in the movie. Yeah. So we saw this on Christmas Day when it came out. Saw it on 70 millimeter. It was like one of my most memorable film experiences of all time because it felt like going to a real movie because Tarantino had that like 10 minute overture, yeah. Where it's just one image with this eerie music yeah, of the of the yeah, me- yeah, of, the, of, the, uh, of the movie playing. And there's this red and black shot mm. of, like, a, a mountain skyline. Yeah. And then um, halfway through the movie, there's an actual 10-minute intermission. Mm. And it's funny because it's in the in the dialogue. is the voiceover in the movie talking about it. And it was just kind of a weird experience to, like, be in the movie theater with a real intermission, kind of yeah. like a play. Yeah. And I remember, like, sprinting to the bathroom and spring back. And, like, <laughs> I still had plenty of time to catch the second part of the movie. Yeah. And um, when you come back from the real intermission... The voiceover in the movie says, Welcome back from your break or whatever, something like that. Yeah. And the cool thing about Tarantino, he left that in like the, the streaming version. Yeah. Like the, the the one you watch on Netflix or the one you watch on Blu-ray or whatever has the voiceover of this intermission that doesn't really exist only in the film because he's like, Fuck that, it's yeah. my it's part of yeah, my movie. He's like, I'm putting that in. And the voiceover narration is him. He it, does he does the narration. Oh, that's him? Yeah. The whole time. I had no idea. So he's the he's the uh the narrator of the entire film. He does a good job disguising his voice. Yeah. Didn't sound like you don't, at all. You know, watch another scene again with the narration. you be like, oh, it is Tarantino. I'll have to. Because whenever you hear Tarantino talk, he's just like... He's so smart. You can tell his brain just processes so much faster than what he can talk. Yeah. Because Tarantino's IQ is 160. Yeah. Same as Stephen Hawking. The guy is a freaking genius. And I think for him, he was lucky enough to find the perfect outlet for his genius. Uh. And that's filmmaking and screenwriting. Yeah. It's a combination of his genius and his uh, interests. But I, I think with the narration, he definitely... Probably took some speech classes because it's very controlled and, and uh very uh, muted. And this movie is very clever too with the non-linear storytelling when that starts to kick in mm. later on like midway through when, when they cut back to what actually happened at um, At the haberdashery. At ab- the haberdashery before they got there mm-hmm. with the setup by the gang and everything and yeah. how they just like, just in time, got everyone killed and they staged the setup and mm-hmm. cleaned everything up and put Chang Taim in the basement. Yeah. And it's just, it's so cool when you find out what's going on. It's fantastic. It's so shocking. Again, he shocks you again because you don't know who's killing people because you don't know who poisoned the coffee yeah. in the way that... <laughs> oh my God. They die from the coffee, just oh. like puking so First much blood. Kurt Russell, he's just like... And then just splurts blood out. Oh my God. And also when they were filming the rest of the scenes of the movie, Kurt Russell still went to set as a dead body. He still <laughs> laid down on the ground. It was just him? Yeah. He's, it was, well, the dead bodies, whoever yeah. were the actors were, they still, yeah. they came to set and were just laying down as dead bodies. That's great. Which I think Tarantino like just really believes in re- authenticity to yeah. his stories. And um, he, well, yeah, he doesn't allow cell phones on set at all. Like not at all. But also, do you know the thing about the dildo on set? No. So for for like the past like several movies, Tarantino brings this giant like huge dildo on set. I think it's like a big pink dildo. And um he saves it for special occasions and what happens is if if someone falls asleep on set, they uh the crew secretly brings the dildo and puts it on you and then they take your photo. <laughs> are there pictures of this on the internet yeah yeah I gotta so see this so like everyone like it's like a rule like don't fall asleep on set, or else they'll get you a photo holding the dildo <laughs> it's so funny I'm sure his sets run long too yeah but he's like hey we're here to make a movie no distractions no breaks let's get this done and just the ending of this movie is it's just so satisfying yeah everybody freaking dies yeah everyone. everybody dies and Daisy gets what she got coming to her yeah but it's just nuts. Literally everybody dies. <laughs> With the music, anyone where I like, can score is just incredible. He won the Oscar for this. Yeah, and the way he the way they hang her at the end is yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. He's like my first and final act of as mayor <laughs> of, of Sheriff of Red Rock <laughs> <laughs> sentence you days Domergoo to death by hanging. <laughs> the hangman catches you, you hang. <laughs> I will say, my my one knock on this movie. It's it's and it's pretty funny if you think about it. Is it's a little a little funny how often characters recognize other characters even yeah. though they've never met. There's very little. There's no foot photography, and the only images you saw of people were like drawings or printouts. So it's like I think there's like five times where someone recognizes someone else. Well, it's like. John Ruth recognizes Walton Goggins' character. Yeah. And Walton Goggins recognized the general. But Kurt Russell and... And, and Sam L. Jackson. ...recognize each other. They recognize each other. But that's because they met in the, in the past. But, yeah, they don't count because they've met. But other people who've never met seem to recognize each other. Yeah. And it's like, okay... But otherwise, like that's my only knock on the whole movie. You know who I really love in this movie is Tim Roth. Yeah, he's he, great. He does a great job in this movie because he gets to do like this street London accent, and yeah. then also he does like this classical preppy like English yeah. accent of the yeah. same, uh, yeah. with the, the, the same person in the flashback. Yeah. So he he seems like he had a lot of fun. This looks like it was probably like a lot of fun to make. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and it, he's got he's got. His old crew, he's got him, he's got Michael Madsen in it, yeah. Sam, Kurt Russell's in it. No one else puts Michael Madsen in movies except for Tarantino nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> he's, otherwise, he's in... How, how thankful is Michael Madsen for Tarantino? Big time. Like, so, so thankful. He's like, put that dildo on me anytime, bro. <laughs> I don't care. No one's putting me in movies anymore. I haven't been in a movie since that sci-fi thing, whatever it was called. No, he's just doing VOD, man. Basic... In, no, he, not... Basic. He's doing, like, the cheesy action movies now. Gotta make that money somehow. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Hateful Eight... Great movie. It was heavy dialogue. A, heavy dialogue. But it's it's like it felt like a play. Yeah. You and know, right it, now Netflix is doing uh extended version where there's four like fifty minute parts. Yeah. So it's pretty much a series on Netflix. Yeah. But um it's it's so much such a fun movie. All right. One more movie to talk about. Here we go. Just right. came out last year. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Excellent movie. The ultimate pairing of movie stars. In the modern era. Never seen anything like to it. To have... I think since Paul Newman and Robert Redford, yeah. Butch Cassidy. Yeah. But to have Brad Pitt and DiCaprio in a movie together sharing scenes... blew my mind. The Incredible. whole time in the theater, I just couldn't believe I was watching yeah. it. Because you've had De Niro and Pacino and Heat, but they only shared one scene together. But in this movie, these two guys, these two giants of, of film history are in so many scenes together. And... It was worth the price of admission just to see them share the screen and just to talk to each other. You it's know like I mean? watching a unicorn, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. You could have filmed these two guys doing anything <laughs> and it would have made $100 million. It's insane i loved it it, it was just mind-blowing to see them both together and how awesome they were and you like knew they would just be so well together yeah. you knew that like the charm would be there for both of them you, you knew they'd get along yeah you knew they'd play off each other you knew other they'd so have well. such good rapport yeah and it and they did and it was so fun well that's the thing with this movie i think it's tarantino's most fun movie probably it's a great yeah. time it's funny it's um it's 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 really enjoyable and uh it, the story's unique, and I think it's just a great time watching this movie. You're never gonna see a movie like this ever made again. Never. It's a three-hour love fest to cinema and to Hollywood in in 1960s, and yeah. not letting, not wanting to change. Like it's it's about a time in an era that. Inevitably, you're watching it, and these guys, are they're dinosaurs, and they're about to be extinct, but they don't know they're about to be extinct. Yeah. We know they're going to be extinct because we grew up in the modern world, but these characters have no idea that everything's about to change for them. Yeah. Once the 70s start, and um, they start losing their careers, and you can just watch them holding on to the end, uh, specifically when, when Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton go to... Italy to do their spaghetti westerns to try to revive his career yeah and basically the whole movie is about Rick Dolan's career is, is almost over yeah and he's and, trying to save it and DiCaprio plays it so well of being this this guy on the on the end of a rope and he's so desperate and uh he's a raging alcoholic <laughs> like he has that when he messes up on set he, ke- he keeps flubbing the lines up and he goes back to his trailer and he has that little like that little panic attack and he's like, you quit drinking, no more drinking, you're, you're becoming a bum. And then he just grabs his bottle of liquor and starts drinking. he's like, oh, fuck, God damn it!" he like throws it across the room. It's so funny, because the night before, he's he's on his pool running lines, but he's made like this crazy, huge margarita. Yeah, a whole blender of margarita. Yeah, he takes it into his pool to run lines. You're like, that's probably not a good idea, bro. And this is also a hallmark to um, Tarantino's like love of the film industry. mm mm-hmm. um, obviously with him on set and with having casting an actor as the lead, like just seeing Tarantino prepping for his role is hysterical. Yeah. He's in his bathrobe and, and I mean, I love the idea of like a movie being made on a movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've seen it before, but I love Quentin Tarantino's take on, it. you know, these fictional characters who are basically just like what you think a movie process looks like, what actors are really like. Mm. And he actually uses real history combined with fictional history. Hmm. The real sets of Hollywood and L.A. combined with fictional and real characters. I mean, Bruce Lee's in this movie. I mean, a lot of people... There's a big controversy. Yeah, they, they don't like what Tarantino did with Bruce Lee. And they feel like they disrespected his memory and stuff like that. But, I mean, I don't hate his take on Bruce Lee. Because, again, Bruce Lee, incredibly smart guy. Amazing martial artist. Uh, highly... Icon. Icon. Highly intelligent, massive cultural impact, but when you get down to it, when you're talking about Bruce Lee as a martial artist and a fighter, the guy's never had a recorded fight. Mm. And I'm sure that he kind of did all his philosophy ranting on sets and stuff like that, but when, he, when it gets down to it, Bruce Lee was an actor mostly. Yeah, he did his own stunts, but like that's all we know about him physically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he looks like he's a great fighter and everything. I'm sure yeah. he was a great fighter, but still, he has like zero recorded real fights yeah. that people have actually seen. So I don't hate Quentin Tarantino's take on it because for all we know, it could be accurate. And for all we know, you know, maybe Bruce Lee wasn't the greatest fighter in the world. Yeah. We will never know that, but. And also, I mean, we're talking about the filmmaker who killed Hitler in his movie. So I mean,. We don't have to take it completely seriously. Yeah, I think people maybe overreacted a little bit. I thought it was fun. I, I thought, thought it, it was hilarious. Fun. Yeah, it was a really good time. And I thought that actor did a great job. He was—he uh, seemed so much like Bruce. Yeah, he was it's great. Just, besides being absolutely shredded, which <laughs> he was not—I mean, yeah, how do you yeah, get as shredded as Bruce Lee? Yeah, yeah. but Cliff is uh, a great character because he has that—that—that um, that, that murky past. You don't really know if he did kill his wife <laughs> or not.
1: <laughs> I
0: just winked at him <laughs> But um, and I love one of my favorite parts about this movie and it happens in a lot of Tarantino movies he's so great at depicting this is driving Stri- driving is something we all do it takes up a lot of our time if you think about it um, especially if you, you you um commute for work and stuff so we all spend a lot of our time in cars listening to music driving on the freeways and so in this movie He especially depicted what it's like to drive across L.A. To to drive from um, the hills and go all the way up into the deep valley in Van Nuys. And he literally followed Brad Pitt as he took every every freeway, every turn, every exit. Different songs. I felt like I've done this myself many times. And then every time there's a cut, it's a new song playing because he's listening to the radio for 40 minutes. So obviously he's going to hear a lot of music. And that's what we do. And then you don't really get to see that experience shown on film very often. I think uh, someone who also did it good was um, Sam Mandis did it really well in American Beauty when Kevin Spacey and Annette Bedding each sing to a song while they're driving. Remember? But like this is like, Brad Pitt is really going on a journey every night from from uh, Rick's house to his trailer up in Van Nuys. And it's, it was so great to see to see the journey that we all take almost every day, yeah, you know what I mean. Never really see it like from in, from to that extent on yeah, film, like ten minutes of it. And I love Cliff Booth, man. What oh, a cool yeah. character! It's The coolest Red character we have seen won in a while. Best actor award for it. It's just so awesome to see him finally win yeah. an Oscar after his amazing career has gone this long. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing with this movie is, it's like also a western at the same time. And yeah. again, to get back into mixing real history with fictional characters is the scenes at Spawn Ranch mm. with um where Charles Manson's gang or Charles Manson had his family living that's where they they really mm. were and Spawn Ranch is a real place it's a real place that they shot um western tv shows on um like the lone ranger and stuff like that and then to uh, bring Cliff Booth's character there to kind of have like this standoff mm. with the hippies who are kind of like you could say were the outlaws or something goddamn hippies <laughs> god damn hippies, god damn hippies. <laughs> it's just really cool because you know he kind of like did like a modern standoff with like the sheriff type character yeah. like like cliff booth uh-huh. and also in that scene um tragically burt reynolds died before they filmed the movie and he hmm. was originally cast in the role that bruce Dern plays oh, as the really? blind owner of of spawn ranch uh-huh. and um so technically it was the last role that Burt Reynolds ever played because he played the character in rehearsals and mm. script reading, died before they filmed the role. It's too bad. So technically it was the last role he ever acted as. Mm. Um Untimely Death. It would have been amazing if he could have made it as long to film the movie to be in it. Yeah. And Which, and um DiCaprio's character was based off of Burt Reynolds. Basically, yeah. yeah. Basically based off Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Another yeah. scene that I love with uh with Cliff Booth is uh when we when he drives home and we get to see what his life is like. And he goes to his trailer and he has the dog. I love that dog. I love that dog. And he's got it so trained so well. And he starts preparing the, its dinner. And uh she starts like whining a little bit and he's like, Is that a whine? And she just like straightens up, like, no. <laughs> and it's a really great sequence of him just slamming the food down for her into the bowl, and then she's so hungry and she's mm-hmm. just like waiting for him to say it's okay. And then it also is a precursor to, to how he's trained her to attack as well. Yeah. And then when he he's finished with his mac and cheese, and he takes the first bite of his mac and cheese because he's the, the, the dominant of the house. Then he clicks his clicks his tongue, and then the dog knows it's okay to go eat. Yeah, and she runs over and starts to mounting, going to town on the food. Yeah, it's so funny it and cute. Can, it kind of foreshadows the climax, which yeah. I freaking love. The climax of this movie is phenomenal really because blessed. Tarantino builds it up so long. Yeah, it's like a three-hour movie, <laughs> and you wait until like the last ten and minutes it takes for the months. climax. For the climax. Yeah. And it's basically an epic of these characters going through so much time. Yeah. And then when the climax happens, when Brad Pitt's drugged out on that uh, <laughs> oh, acid-laced cigarette. cigarette. And then, like, the Tex walks in with the knives. He's like, hey, I know you. He's like, yeah, I'm the devil. He's like, nah, uh, here's dumber than that. <laughs> <laughs> then he just beats the crap out of the killers Oh my god Beats the crap out of them, senseless Brutal It's badass, it's awesome And it's like you, you're waiting for it the whole movie and, But the thing is, you're kind of frightened because you know Brad's high Yeah And you're like, is he gonna be able to defend himself? Because they're all armed It's like, is, how's he gonna get out of this? And then you realize, oh, he 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 knows what's up still Yeah And he gets the, he sticks the dog on them And that's when fucking the mayhem happens Because his background, he's like a former Green Beret Yeah So he's just the most badass dude alive Yeah and then freaking Rick Dahl and Leo DiCaprio with the goddamn flamethrower. Oh, yeah, well, when the when the girl crashes into the pool, he's like, what the fuck? He's wearing headphones. He's like, oh. And then he runs into his garage, and he comes out with the flamethrower. These <laughs> lights are on fire. <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Can you imagine reading that in the script for the first time? <laughs> and I love uh, after, at the end, when he's telling Emil Hirsch what happened, and he's like, well i just uh, i burned her up <laughs> he's like her. he's like yeah well i got a flamethrower up back <laughs> and they're like oh the one from that movie <laughs> i love the shot when they're talking about the flamethrower earlier on and yeah. he was like really using the flamethrower he's like oh man that's hot can we do anything about that heat he's, he's like, like and that was improvised dialogue where he actually no said way. that yeah and the guy's <laughs> like it's fire he's like <laughs> he's no he's like it's a flamethrower <laughs> <laughs> so freaking funny oh man that's great but this movie is just it's fun you know what I mean you really feel for these characters big time uh, and you have so much fun with them and I yeah. mean just when when like Rick Dalton's on set and you're learning so much about him and his character uh, and then when he's talking to that little Feminist oh, the girl like ten year old girl and yeah. she's hilarious and, and she's basically smarter than him and like sits his life and, like Yeah, like takes she's pay reading she's reading like some super articulate book way advanced for her age that he's reading a cowboy book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like embarrassed. <laughs> he's like smoking cigarettes and like hawking loobies next door and coughing up a lung. <laughs> and he like right before he sits down, he like throws trash on the ground. He, he's just like a fucking asshole. <laughs> God damn hippies! <laughs> it's a bunch of goddamn fucking hippies. That's probably my favorite part of the movie. Is that before the hippies attack, <laughs> is when he's just making margaritas again. <laughs> and he's there, they're playing music on the street in their car, and he just looks out the window. He's like, "It's a bunch of goddamn fucking hippies." It's <laughs> <laughs> a private road. <laughs> oh my god. Man, but I, this movie, I think it's one of Tarantino's funniest ones. Oh, dude, it's hysterical. Yeah. It's like the funniest movie I saw last year. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's laughing the whole time. And then seeing it, seeing it in theaters, on film, projected, and uh, the produ- everything about it. The production's great. They transformed Hollywood into a different era for real. There's no CGI. I really want to go to Casa Vega now because we used to live down the street from that like yeah. a few years ago. Sto- drive by it every day. We never went. and Now I want to go so bad and we can't because of fucking COVID. Oh man. I want to go there so Fuck bad. Fuck COVID. Casa Vega looks like a blast. <laughs> I just want to make a I made a list of what I think Tarantino's best scenes are. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to read them and see what you thought. So for Be- Tarantino's best scenes for all of his movies I have um, DiCaprio's uh, Bloody Hand monologue in Django. The uh Oren fight at the end of Kill Bill 1. Um, Tim Roth's Komodo story in Reservoir Dogs. Um, the wolf sequence in uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, the Crazy 88 fight in Kill Bill. Um, Reserv- uh, Vincent and Jules um, going into the, that first apartment um, with the Burger monologue. Um, Michael Madsen's uh, torture scene in Reservoir Dogs. Mia and Vincent um, at Jack Rag- Jackrabbit Slims, the whole sequence from them at the table to them dancing. When Butch saves Marcellus in Pulp Fiction. The basement scene, um, playing the drinking games in Inglourious Bastards. And then his greatest scene, as we've said, is the opening scene to Glorious Bastards. It's a really good list. That's, those are, I think, his best scenes. Those last two could be interchangeable. Yeah. In terms of which one's better. Exactly, like we said earlier. I think I might like the the basement scene more because there's more characters. Mm. All right, but I think we're coming to an end. There, We could keep going on, but this is like two hours right now. Yeah, so this is going to be a two-parter. This is, a, this is an epic. Yeah, so this is a two-part episode. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to this episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast, director spotlight on Quentin Tarantino. We'll be doing more director spotlights in the future. Um, so thank you so much for, for watching. Leave us a five-star review, please. Please. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Hit all the buttons. Go on uh, TikTok on Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We got lots of fun stuff coming. Yeah, guys. We got tons of content. We appreciate all the support wherever you're coming from. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, wherever. And if you have any ideas for episodes, shout it out to us. We've taken a few ideas already, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Send us a DM on Instagram, guys. We respond to, to all of our fans. Yeah, we love you guys and girls. And thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Take care. Wherever you're listening, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, America, France—we have fans everywhere. So we appreciate every single one of you. We even have someone in Chile, nice. Argentina, awesome. everywhere. Chile person. We're all over the place. We're all over the the map, playa. Even Russia. Now let's uh let's listen to super sounds of the '70s. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn hippies. Holy <laughs> crap.